This morning's sermon title, as you may have seen, is Can't, Never Could. Anyone familiar with that expression? Have you ever heard that expression, can't, never could? Really? Yes, you have or no, you haven't? Yes, you have. Okay, well, good. I was like, wow, I was real surprised that you all hadn't heard that before. Well, that was something my parents would oftentimes uh, say to me growing up, particularly when I was faced with an issue or a task or something in front of me, and I would start in to tell them, well, I can't do it because of, and I would try to give my excuse as to why I wouldn't be able to accomplish this task or achieve whatever thing was set before me. And they said that as a way of reminding me and saying to me, Curtis, everything in life comes with challenges. No matter what you set out to do, there are going to be challenges and hurdles and obstacles for you to overcome. But if you come into something saying from the outset, well, I can't because of whatever you know, excuse or reason we want to give, then the first hurdle, the first obstacle you run into, chances are good you're going to give up and say, well, I knew I couldn't do this. And so uh, we kind of give ourselves an escape. We give ourselves an out from sticking to something and, and having a spirit or an attitude of determination about something that is set before us. And I think the danger, uh, the reason that I put this as a sermon title, is that so often in our relationship and our walk with God, we can do this very same thing. We feel like God may call us to something or we may sense that God is leading us to something. And what do we do? Well, God, I can't do that. And we start in all these reasons and all these excuses why that wouldn't be what God would want us to do or we can't do it because of, and we give all these reasons as to why that's not something that we're going to be able to do. Well, my challenge for you this morning is the next time God sets something before you and you begin down that path of, well, I can't do that because of this, to stop yourself and remember, can't never could. And remember that it's not about us and what we can do because generally our excuses are about what we're not able to do and God says I didn't ask you if you're able to it's not about your power it's not about your strength and what you can accomplish it's about me is my power sufficient to accomplish what I'm calling you to and we put it in that perspective we go oh yeah it's not me so it's not can't that I can't do this it's what can God do in me and through me to accomplish this thing that he's setting before me Last week, someone uh, uh, caught me in the foyer, and I'd heard this thought before. It had seen some things written on it, and they kind of shared with me the history of how it came to be. And I was like, ah, that's so very helpful as we think this morning about following uh, the the commands of Christ and the demands that he places upon our life. Uh, They shared with me that Adrian Rogers, many of you are familiar with his name, a a very well-known preacher in the Southern Baptist Convention. Years ago, he was apparently uh, hosting and speaking with a pastor who was in America from overseas and in their time together, Dr. Rogers asked him and said, well, you've seen the American church. You know, what, what do you think after having been here for a while and having observed things that are taking place in our churches? And this pastor said, well, since you ask, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. He said, I think the American church, in the American church, you guys have replaced a very important word in your vocabulary and how you talk about things. He said, American Christians speak a lot about making commitments to Jesus. He said, the problem with the word commitment is that you are still in control of what you commit yourselves to. Are we not? We decide, well, I'm going to commit to this. I'm not going to commit to that. I think I'll do this. I think I won't do that. We're in charge of commitment. He said, I think Americans need to get rid of this word commitment, and they need to replace it with the word that Jesus used when he called people to himself, and it's the word surrender. 
Because Jesus said, come and follow me and surrender and give all that you have, leave all that you have to come and follow me. So he said, my challenge is, and my prayer is that American Christians will learn to speak in terms of surrender and not decide whether or not they want to make commitments to him. Because he said, you know, in our flesh, and this is paraphrasing, in our flesh, we're not going to make commitments and we're not going to hold to those commitments when the going gets tough and when we have issues and difficulties that we face. And I went, wow, that's a very good thought and good idea. And I'd seen that written somewhere about the difference between commitment and surrender. And so my challenge for us in the last few weeks, I know I've been calling us to commitments. Make this commitment to this. Make this commitment to this. And so even myself thinking through that to change my terminology to say, are we willing to surrender ourselves to the things that, that Christ calls us to, to the things that Scripture lays out in order to be obedient to the commands and the demands of Jesus upon our lives. And I say all this because this morning is going to get uh, to a point in thinking about what God would ask of us and what it is that God calls us to where it's very easy to begin giving these excuses as to why we can't or, or why God wouldn't want certain things of us. And before we get any further down that path, I just want to remind us this morning that can't never could. This isn't a matter of what we can do and, and what we can accomplish. This is a matter of will we be surrendered and will we be obedient to the very clear call of God upon our lives? Will we understand his purposes for our life and the call that he extends to each and every one of us and how those things come together? Because here's the deal. God created you and set you on this earth with a specific purpose in mind. Jesus Christ died so that you could become a child of God with a very specific purpose in mind. God has placed you in the United States of America where we have great freedoms and we have been blessed abundantly. God has placed you here with a very specific purpose in mind. The question is, will we experience those blessings and those things that God has done in our life and will we fulfill the purpose Will we utilize those blessings and those things that God has given to us to accomplish God's purposes both in and through our lives? And I want you to see what that purpose is this morning from the pages of Scripture. So Genesis chapter 3, if you'll turn with me there, we're going to start in Genesis, work our way through. But in Genesis chapter 3, we're at the point in the story where God is confronting Adam and Eve with their sin. And they, quote, unquote, confess to their sin. And I say, quote, unquote, confess because they, they, their sin is discovered, but do they really come clean and admit that they sinned? Well, not really. They, they did something that's very common to us when the Lord said, how do you know these things? Adam said, the woman you gave me, she made me do it. And what did the woman say? Well, the serpent that you put in the garden, he made me do it. So what they do, they shifted the blame. And ultimately, the way they're saying, the woman you gave me made me do it. The serpent you put here made me do it. So who are they saying is responsible for their sin? God, they're putting it on someone else. You ever been there? We kind of do that whole blame-shifting thing. We know what that's like. Well, that, that's what's taking place, but, but the long and the short of it is their, their sin has been recognized. The cat's out of the bag that they sinned, and God begins pronouncing judgment and punishment uh, for the sin that has come about. And in verse 14, it says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. 
And then listen to this little promise that comes here in verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now that verse, verse 15, is what's called the proto, meaning before, uh, in the Greek word euangelion, which is the word for evangelism. So it's before evangelism. This is before the good news of Jesus Christ and what he came to do. There is this promise that an offspring of the woman will come. And it goes from offspring in the gentle to a very broad to speaking and saying, he, he will bruise your head and, and you will bruise his heel. It gets to a very specific person, a single individual. That's the promise of Jesus Christ that he would come and he would stomp and he would defeat once and for all Satan and his work at, at separating people from God and that Satan would bruise his heel. Now in that, would you rather get your head crushed or your heel bruised? Well, you'd rather have the bruise, okay? It, it, it may not feel good and it's going to be temporary, but the victor is going to be the offspring of the woman who would defeat Satan. What I want you to recognize from this passage as we get started is that God loved his creation. He loved mankind, and mankind was separated from God. But from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, God said there will be a time when we will have a relationship once again. Because of my love for you, something will happen. Someone will come who will destroy the work of Satan so that we can once again have a special, unique relationship. You can again become my children, loved and treasured by me. So it's this promise of what's going to happen in the future. Now I want you to turn to Genesis 12 to see that this promise continues to go forward. God wants his people... He wants his children to be able to come back to him in relationship. And in Genesis chapter 12, he gives a promise to Abram that's very important for us to note in how broad this desire and this love for people is. Who does it apply to? Verse, verse 2 of Genesis 12 says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Now notice that. God says to Abram, I will bless you, not so that you'll be blessed, so that you will be a blessing. The goal of God's blessings, the goal of the gospel is not for us that it stops with us and we go, ah, look at all that I've received. It's that we would then, because of what we received, we would be a blessing. We would share the gospel with others. And as we do that, who gets the glory for that? God is the one who gets the glory. So the goal of the gospel isn't for us and for our benefit, it's for the glory of God. And so God tells Abram, I will bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. And look at who this blessing applies to. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It is a worldwide invitation. God promised his blessing to all the families of the earth. It's global that God desires people from all over the world to come and to be his children. Flip over to Isaiah chapter 42. It's about midway through the New Testament, and I'm just hitting a couple of verses. You find this promise, the, the same call going out over and over again, all throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament, that God's desire is that people from all over the world, from every nation, would come to him. In Isaiah, 
Uh, he's writing hundreds of years before the Messiah would come. And the Messiah is the one who would make it possible that God's people who are separated from him would be able to have a relationship with God. They would come through him to have this relationship. And Isaiah speaks of this Messiah, the one who would come and the work he would accomplish. He says in verse 6, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. So it's a covenant for the people. And what people is he talking about? He says, a light for who? The nations, a light for the nations, that all people would see this Messiah, this light, and come to it. And here's the promise of this Messiah who would come, to open the eyes that are blind. Who's that apply to? All the nations. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. Who's that apply to? All the nations. From the prison, those who sit in darkness. Who does that apply to? All the nations. And God wraps up in verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass. What are the former things? It's the promise that was made in the Garden of Eden. It was made to Abram. And God promised over and over again throughout the history of the nation of Israel. All these former things, he said, have come to pass. And he says, and new things I now declare. It's, It's the new covenant in Christ and his blood on the cross before they spring forth i tell you of them so god promises the deliverance through the messiah that's going to be to all people to the nations so then i think we have to pause and say well did jesus understand that his role and that his life and the work that he came to do did jesus understand that it was for everyone that it was for the world well turn to matthew chapter 28 And uh, we'll answer that question in just a moment. But while you're turning there, I want to share another verse, and it's very familiar. And you tell me, I mean, Jesus speaking, we call it the gospel in a nutshell. You tell me if Jesus understood that his call, his life, his ministry, the work that he would do on the cross of Calvary was for all people. In John 3, 16, Jesus said, for God so loved the world, the world that he, that he what, that he gave his only son that Whosoever, whoever. Now, does that stop at a geographic border of a nation? Is it limited to a certain uh, people group or a person who speaks a single language? No, whoever or whosoever means whoever and whosoever. See, this Bible study thing's pretty easy, isn't it? I mean, to all peoples. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him places faith in Christ, wouldn't perish, wouldn't be eternally separated from God because we are separated from God, remember back in the Garden of Eden, but would have eternal life, eternal life in God's presence with him. So that's what Jesus said about his life and his work. Matthew chapter 28 would begin to say, well, if Jesus understood it, he knew it's what he needed to do, but it's not for us. I mean, we're not Jesus, right? Well, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 18, the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. All nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. This is a command that Jesus is giving to his followers, all of his followers then, but all who would come to follow him afterward. This is a a command to us to go and make disciples of all nations. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of 
of the age. So how do we do this? I mean, that's, that's, we go and make disciples of all nations, and we say, well, how do we do that? Jesus says, I am with you. I will guide you. I will show you how to do that. And then last week, we looked at, at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If you want to flip over there, uh, we focused on the power last week. Jesus promised that power would come. But this week, in the context of what we're looking at, I want you to see what that power is for. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to where? The ends of the earth. The ends of the earth, Jesus says. This is his command. Right after he says these words, Jesus is going to ascend into heaven and be gone from their sight. And he tells them that you are to be my witnesses and to go and speak of me to the ends of the earth. So you tell me, did Jesus understand that his life and his work was for all people? All people in the world? Yes, he understood it. Well, was his call, his command, and, and the vision that he had for his followers, was it ambiguous? Is it vague, a little unclear as to what he was calling us to do? No. There's no denying uh, what he says in Scripture here. But I want you to see this last reference, Revelation chapter 7. If you flip over there, Revelation's the last uh, book in the Bible. In Revelation 7... John is taken up into heaven and he's writing down most of the visions that he sees, the things that he's experiencing there in heaven. And one thing that he sees and he writes for us tells us that during their time on earth, some of God's people understood this call to take the gospel to the nations. They not only understood it, but they obeyed it and took it seriously and said, we are going to do our part in trying to take the gospel to the nations. And as they took the gospel to the nations, people gave their lives to Christ. And we know that because of what John writes in chapter 7, verse 9. He says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Look at that, a great multitude that no one could number. And then he describes the makeup of that multitude. Who is in this multitude? He says, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. They were there because they had heard the gospel and they responded because believers in their time on earth gave their life, gave themselves, gave their resources to take the gospel to the nations. And were these people, were they celebrating that somebody came and shared the gospel with them? Were they praising these persons who had given their lives and who had sacrificed so that they could hear the gospel? No, it goes on. It says, uh, they were standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They celebrated what God had done in bringing salvation to them through God's children who had been obedient. So they got the message and they responded in obedience. And church, here's where the rubber meets the road and what I'm driving to today. This call in taking the gospel to the nations is crystal clear for every follower of Jesus Christ. It is undeniable that God has called us to give our lives and our resources and do everything that we can to help take the gospel to the nations. Now, the application of this call and, and the implementation, what we do in response to it, it looks very different for every single person. 
And I've described it this way. God will not call us all to the same thing. God won't call us all to the same thing. But here's the thing. God will and God does call every single one of us to something. You hear that? Do you understand that? God won't call us all to the same thing, but he calls every single one of us to something in taking the gospel to the nations. And yes, that includes our nation, the the place in which we live. But see, we run into, and Platt and Radical brings up two very common excuses that, that, that we face. People say, well, I'm not called. God hasn't called me to international missions and to do that. And I say, hello? Did you hear the Bible verses that we just read? I mean, how, how do you say Matthew 28, 18 through 20? How does Acts 1, 8 not apply to you? I didn't see an asterisk in a footnote that says, except for these individuals or these persons. The call is for all of us. And for you to say, well, well that's not my call. How do you explain away those verses of the Bible? You say, well, well, those don't apply to me. Well, those don't apply to you. Well, does this one apply to you? Where John, uh, Jesus says in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, does that apply to you? And we go, yeah, we want to claim the resurrection and the life. Well, if that one applies to you, why do the other two not? And here's the question. Who decides which ones apply to you and which ones don't? Friends, we are in a dangerous, dangerous place when we, mark, when we start making determinations and deciding which parts of the Bible that we like, which parts that apply to us that we want to do, and which ones we don't. That is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. That's why beginning this study, I ask you two questions. Will you believe? Do you believe Everything that Jesus said, is it true? And then secondly, if you believe it is true, will you obey what he has said? But a second thing that people say is, well, my heart is for America or it's for my city or for my neighborhoods or something along those lines. Basically, they're saying, well, my burden and my call is here, not for the nations, as as if it's a a either or thing. It's either here or or it's over there. No, that's not the case. I mean, and and to say, think about this, to say that our heart is for America and not for the nations, we're we're roughly, you know, 5% of the world's population. So are you saying that you only have and your heart beats with only 5% of the heart of God? Or maybe is that another way for us to say, you know what? I have 5% of God's heart for the nations because it's my nation. That leaves the other 95% of my heart to fill with the things that, that I, I desire, that, you know, that I want in my life. I mean, what did Jesus say about our heart and God's heart? In the greatest commandment, when he was asked what the greatest commandment was, Jesus said what? You shall love the Lord your God with all, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And with all of our heart seeking after the heart of God, we should have a burden and desire for the nations as well. And a second question I ask and say, well, if your burden is for America, or if your burden is for your city and for your neighborhood, what are you doing to make the gospel known there? If that's your burden, if that's your passion, how are you spending your time, your energy, and your resources to share the gospel in those places, in those contexts? 
Who are you building relationships with where you're seeking to share Christ with those people? When was the last time that you shared the plan of salvation with someone? Because you see, if our heart is burdened for something and we say, this is what God has called me to, then we should be giving ourselves to that task. But if we're not sharing the gospel here, we're not reaching people in America, and we're not sharing the gospel and doing what we can to take it to the nations, then what are we doing, church? We're living in disobedience is what we're doing. Because the call is clear that we are to give our lives for the sake of the gospel that others may come to know. This isn't an either-or proposition. It's both and. God doesn't want us to, to be passionate uh, about in, for, believer, for the gospel in America or overseas. He wants us to be passionate about the gospel both in America and among the nations. And I stated earlier that God has placed you in America, a land of great abundance and great wealth with a specific purpose. What is that purpose? That you would leverage the blessings and the things that you have been given here to help take the gospel to other nations. You know, I went through this last week and just said, you know, where does America rank in, in, in the wealthiest nations and the wealthiest places of the world? And depending on which product you measure and which standard and all this kind of stuff, we're at least in the top five. We ranked in every list I saw anywhere from number one to number five, wealthiest countries in the nation. That means we as believers have received that blessing from God. And what did God say to Abraham? I have blessed you so that what? You will be a blessing to others. God has given us these things so that we can use those and leverage those to help be able to take the gospel to the nations, that others may hear, that others may respond. What's this look like for all of us, for each of us? I told you it's going to look different. And I put some things in your sermon note sheet this morning where you can think about, you can pray through to say, Lord, what is this going to look like for me? That's not an exhaustive list. God may lead you and burden your heart with something that's on that list, or he may burden your heart with something that's off the list. Again, the issue, uh, and it's not that God's going to call us all to the same thing, but God is going to call us to something. And so I encourage you to begin praying. Those are some, some bullet points and places where you can start praying, but ask. Lord, what is this going to look like for me that I would do my part in making the gospel known both at home and among the nations? A number of things on there. You see on there about international adoption. More and more families are beginning to adopt from other nations and they bring those children in and they love them and they care for them and they, they bring them up with, with the gospel in their lives and, and teach them to know and to, to love God. And then they pray that God would take those children and maybe call them back to their homeland to go and to minister and serve among those people. Such an important part of taking the gospel to other lands is that people from that nation and in that nation come to know Christ and begin to share him in their own soil and among their own people. Gary and I and a team from here took a trip here a few months ago uh, to Southeast Asia, and I saw firsthand the importance that people from that nation, from that land, hear the gospel, respond to the gospel, and then share that according to God's leadership and prompting in their own lives, because they are able to do things. They're able to say things. Obviously, they spoke the language, and I didn't. That was a huge barrier for me to go and share the gospel. I couldn't even say, uh, you know, anything more than maybe hello in their language, you know, so uh, not being able to share, that was a barrier for me, but people in that land knowing the gospel and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in their, uh, with their neighbors, with their families, and with their friends. So very important that we help equip believers in those nations to share the gospel. Uh, the nation that we were in, the, the missionaries there have started a exchange program 
And they have students come to America, and when they're in America, they have them enrolled in Christian school so that they hear the gospel and they're brought up with or they get to hear uh, about Christ and the difference he makes in their lives. And to date, every student who has been a part of that exchange program has given his or her life to Jesus Christ. And several of those students uh, have returned or they've communicated with family members back in that nation and then have led family members to Christ as a result of that investment that's being made in their lives. So maybe you, you could host a student along those lines and have an opportunity to invest in them with the gospel. I don't know what that's going to look like for you. Shelly and I, we're still praying what that's looking like for our family right now. But I know that the call is there. The question is, will we respond in obedience to what it is that God is going to lay upon our hearts? This morning's radical challenge uh, builds on the ones that, that we've been doing in the previous weeks, and it's to do this. It's to spend your time in another context, to spend your time in another context. I listed some mission opportunities, some things that are taking place uh, through our church this year. I want you to pray about being involved in one of these things and supporting those who are being involved in this through prayers and through finances, but to be able to go and serve, giving yourself in some way. And if you're not able to do one of the ones that, that we've got uh, set before you this year, uh, then I encourage you to pray and to seek out a mission organization or agencies that uh, would fit your schedule and your time frame or your budget or whatever the case may be. I mean, there are more mission agencies and groups out there for you to do uh, short-term and and medium-term mission trips than you could even shake a stick at. Uh, Just be sure they're evangelical and and doctrinally solid, but there are so many opportunities for medical missions, for uh, humanitarian-type work, for construction projects, uh, teaching and learning. When when we were in our nation, they were looking for someone to come over and train in how to do a coffee house. They said, we're going to start these coffee houses, and we need someone to come in and teach us how to run and manage a coffee house. And what they were doing is they were going to establish these coffee houses all over the city, have local believers work in these uh, local coffee houses, which provided an income, a source of income for them, but also gave them the flexibility and the freedom to be able to continue uh, praying and growing and developing their churches and doing their mission efforts. And they said, we need someone to teach us how to run coffee shops so we can allow believers to do coffee shops and do their part in sharing the gospel uh, with people in our city. It was an amazing plan uh, for them to be able to do that. And they were looking for persons to come and to teach them how to run a coffee shop. And I went, I never thought about that idea. That wasn't one of the things that would be on my list of mission opportunities where someone could go uh, and help spread the gospel in the nations, yet it's the opportunity that they were looking for. It's the door that God has opened right now. So there are so many different ways uh, that we can be creative in doing that. So what's it going to look like for you? It's going to look different from some. And, and I know people are going, man, I'll be r- r- glad we get done with this radical stuff. We can get back to normal, to our autopilot Christianity, you know, because this stuff, it's, it's just way out there. People aren't doing those type things anymore. They're just not making these huge commitments and these decisions and turning and, and walking away from these things. You know, let's just, let's just move on and, and get back to normal stuff. Well, I want to tell you, why not? Or ask you, why not? Why not start with us? to look like and to be a part of something that no one has ever seen before. But I want to tell you, God is doing incredible things in people's lives. If, if you're reading through the book, you saw the stories this week of the accountant who's gathering other accountants, and they're using their, their, their wealth and their skills and their abilities to help uh, spread the gospel to other nations. A, a young man graduating from college with an engineering degree that passed up the job and the wealth and the, and the benefits and the 401k uh, to be able to serve and minister and use uh, his, his schooling and his training uh, to be able to share the gospel with others. There's a retired couple uh, who traveled all over the world 
world who are spending their time doing mission trips and, and giving of themselves in that capacity. And as I read those stories, I, I thought about an individual in our church who God is doing something wonderful uh, in his life and in the life of his family. And I was like, wow, I just want people to hear and know uh, how this individual is responding so that you know that God is still doing great things in people's lives and people are stepping out in obedience and they're doing some radical things. And people would look at them and go, why would you do that? That doesn't make sense. You know what? It doesn't make sense from a human perspective, but I've said this before, the economy of heaven is different from the economy of things on earth. And anything that we may forsake or give up for the call of Christ is not a loss. It's a gain in eternity. And so you know this individual, Mike George, uh, is who it is. I've asked Mike to come and share a little bit about what the Lord is doing in his life and his family and how they're responding to that. Uh, And ask you to pray for Mike as as they're being obedient and following through. So Mike, share what the Lord's doing in your life and just what this this call to obedience is looking like for you in your journey right now, brother. Um, I told the last hour, it's weird. I've been up here like 52 times now over the past year, and I'm more nervous now than I am in the other way. So y'all have that effect on me. But... um, when Pastor Curtis asked me to uh, come in and share a little bit about where I'm at, I was trying to think if I could summarize the last 15 years of my life um, since I graduated high school, I would have to say strategic. Everything I've done has been to achieve um, security and prosperity for my family, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but I, uh, I ended up going to Liberty University uh, in Lynchburg, not because I wanted a Christian education, but because I got a free ride. Um, I, my parents were divorced, and all in all, I'm the oldest of 12 children. You take free when it comes your way, right? So I ended up going to Liberty, and uh, I pursued a business degree. I felt like that, one, I didn't know what I wanted to do, so when you don't know what you want to do, you get a business degree. Uh, and then secondly is because I felt it really did fit my, um, my gifts with uh, organization and communication and um, sales, and that, that's just always been my bent. Um, the end of my freshman year, I was, I was very involved in music at Liberty, and I was on some of the traveling teams and things. Um, at the end of my freshman year, I, I, I did feel a call to the ministry, or what I thought was a call, but at the time, I kind of thought it was one of those emotional whims that you get, the camp syndrome thing that comes and goes. And, uh, you know, in hindsight, I guess God was kind of giving me a, a glimpse into the future, but just as quickly as I had it, it was gone, and it was back to business degree as usual. Um, I graduated in 99 and, and got married at that time, and um, for the next, I've been married 11 years now, um, we have, my wife and I, in 11 years of marriage, have moved 12 times. Every time I've moved, it's been for the purpose of promotion, advancement, or to better myself um, financially. Um, I was very strategic about that. Uh, I even moved out of state for six weeks one time because I knew I'd have the opportunity for a promotion. So I've, like, dragged my wife everywhere. I'm surprised. She would be here nodding if she wasn't teaching Sunday school. So um, everything I did, though, was to get to the point of, of... making sure that my family was comfortable. And the way I kind of rationalized that is that, well, you know, hey, I can do that, and then I can support the church financially, which is not a bad thing if I wasn't disingenuous by the fact that I didn't tithe. So about three years ago, I've actually been a member here since 01, although half-heartedly early on, and um, we moved around a couple of times in there. But about three years ago, my life changed. I went into Patrick Pettit's Sunday school class. And he really grasped onto me because I was a sales guy and he was a sales guy. And he really started to pick apart why I did things and press me and challenge me and challenge some of the things that I made um, excuses for. And over the past three years, God has continuously brought people into my life um, to challenge me and grow me spiritually. So 
fast forwarding to now, um, I work for a genetics company. I actually do uh, work with physicians and do cancer testing. Um, and I've been very, very successful. I mean, this is, f for me, uh, at 33, almost 34 years old, this was the pinnacle of what I wanted when I was 18. Um, my family's financially secure. Um, I had a very good year last year. I was second, uh, second in the company. Um, and by all means, I'm very successful. But the problem is, for the past three years, I've had this growing um, just uneasiness about what I do. Not what I do, because I like what I do, but just not a lack of satisfaction with what I do. And I've come to the conclusion that God has given me gifts and talents to use, and that I want my life to be used in furthering the kingdom. I want those gifts and talents to be used to further the kingdom. Now, I've wrestled with that for probably 12 or 18 months because, you know, that's pretty big. People think I'm crazy because, you know, I'm, you know, looking at trying to figure out a way to walk away from everything I've worked for. But what I've realized is that if I look back in retrospect, God knew that I wasn't ready and has brought me down the path and brought people into my life to prepare me for this moment. And the ultimate challenge for me was, am I willing to give up what I worked for to use my gifts and talents for him. And in the end, my wife and I and children, uh, we just, I can't stand before him at the end of my life and go, I was a great salesman. I was a great organizer. I made a difference in people's lives when it came to their health. But knowing that I think I could be that much more effective um, by saving people from hell, I, that, that for me is, I think, where I have to go. Amen. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> Mike, I appreciate you sharing and letting us uh, kind of hear what the Lord's doing in your life. And pray for Mike as he and his family are fleshing out what this call looks like. Mike is pursuing his education. And uh, actually in a few weeks, uh, we're going to be having an ordination council. Mike has asked if this body of believers would uh, come alongside and support him in uh, ordination to the gospel ministry. And so we want to celebrate what the Lord is doing in that. And so we'll keep you posted on details with it. But like I said, it's going to look different for every person, and not all of us are going to follow that call because that's not the call that God has for us. God's not going to call us to the same thing, but he is going to call us all to something. The question is, will you be obedient? Will you say yes, yes to what it is the Lord's calling you to? Not too long ago, one of my kids came in. They said, Dad, I know you're going to say no, but I'm going to go ahead and ask you anyway. And I, I may have said no when they asked that request, but as, as they left, I kind of thought, wow, am I, am I really that bad that I say no to everything my kids ask about? And I begin to think, am I saying no because it's a legitimate reason and, and they shouldn't have or shouldn't do whatever they're asking? Or has that just become default for me, that I don't even listen, that I don't even hear, that I don't even consider what the request is? I just say no out of convenience for myself or because I know that, you know, they're not always asking for good things and right choices. And as I thought about this week, I wondered... How many for us default in our life when the Lord speaks, when he begins to move and whisper in our ear and tug at our heart to, to step out in faith and obedience, we say, well, Lord, I can't. I can't. And he's going, you didn't even listen. You didn't even pray about it. You're not, you're not saying, you're not even asking me to help give you the strength to obey. Because it's not an issue of I can't, you know, because it's really it's not an issue of whether you can. Of course you can't. But God can, and he wants to, and he desires to, and he's calling us to say, will you let me? It's not about you. It's about me. 
what his desire is, is that we would surrender ourselves and allow him to do his work in us and through him, through us to accomplish his will and his purpose. So how will we respond today? If you're here this morning and you have never given your life to Christ, and as I spoke through going Genesis to Revelation of how we're separated from God and Jesus came and made a way that we could become his children, if you've never given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, and I want to invite you this morning to do that, to begin this journey of faith, to fulfill that part of God's purpose for your life, that you would become one of his children so that you can share the gospel with other people. So our pastors are available, and we would love to talk with you about what it means to, to have a relationship with Christ and how you can can today become one of his children. But for believers who are here, I, I take us back to Isaiah. We read Isaiah 42 earlier, Isaiah chapter 6. He had an encounter with God. He was in the Lord's presence, and the Lord said, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. Today, would you be obedient? Say, Lord, here am I. Whatever it looks like, if it's going, I want to go. If it's giving, I want to give. Lord, I know it's praying. You've called me to pray. I know I can do that. Lord, whatever it looks like, help me to not say, I can't, because can't never could. But Lord, help me to say, through you and with you, I can. And Lord, I will. I give myself to you. He won't call us all to the same thing, but God's calling us to something. Will you be obedient? Will you be responsive to that call that he's placing upon your heart and your life today?